0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome into a Monday. Thank you for joining us for Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam today. That would be me, and I'll tell you about myself here in just a second. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I serve as the Director of Public Policy. For the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church over in Simpsonville. 1030 every Sunday morning. You're welcome to come and join us if you do not have a church home. All right. um, Great weekend down in Charleston. Saturday was Vision 24, which was put on by Palmetto Family. Of course, I'm the chairman of the board of Palmetto Family, and the team down there did an incredible job. Uh, we had some amazing speakers. We had John Kennedy, uh, Senator John Kennedy, Senator Marshall Blackburn. We had uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. We had uh, uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott, Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, we had Mike Rogers. We had uh, – who else did we have? Tulsi Gabbard, um, Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas. It was just uh, – it was a pretty amazing day, and everybody seemed to have a good time. We had about 450 people there, and some, a lot of the things that happened that day made the news. One of the things was Senator Graham, who started out talking about President Trump being uh, indicted or the possibility of him being arrested on Tuesday. That made a lot of the news headlines. It was carried live on C-SPAN. I, don't, I didn't even know that was going to happen until I got down there. Um, so that, that was pretty interesting and, uh, they may repeat some of it. I mean, I think they've done that before. Um, and what else kind of came that, well, there, there are all kind of stories out there. Fox news ran the story about, uh, Senator Graham going after the prosecutor, Alvin Bragg in, uh, New York for talking about the possibility of indicting Trump and that made Fox News, they played that clip, they actually had me on there um, talking to him, asking him a follow-up question. So that was kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it's fun to do stuff like that. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, people see you on TV and they think, oh, my gosh, he's on television. Well, I mean, television is ubiquitous. I mean, it's everywhere. So it's, not, it's, it's nice when you you know get recognized by a lot of people for something you're doing, but it's not really that big of a deal anymore. All right. Um, Andrew McCarthy has a piece out today about actually came out earlier um, about this whole indictment thing of Trump. And, and this would be in the state of New York. And I'm going to go through this piece because it, it really helps us understand some of the history, um, some of the background and and just the complete ridiculous nature of this. The press keeps saying that this is a felony. Well, let me just say it's not yet a felony, the thing that Trump is likely to be indicted for. If he's going to be indicted, to make it a a felony, they're going to have to say that it wasn't just simply improper business practice, which is a misdemeanor, uh, an improper use of business funds— they're going to have to figure out a way to elevate it to a felony, and it would be a C felony, that is a low-level felony, even if they're able to do it, to say that it was used to cover up something that was happening in a campaign. And that would that would elevate it to a C felony. But right now, it's just it—it's a misdemeanor. I mean, it, it's 10 laps around the courthouse if you get convicted. It's actually more than that. But you get the point. I mean, it's the, the penalty, the, the, all of this, the money being spent for what amounts to, unless they can figure out a way to elevate elevate it, a misdemeanor. But here's, here's where McCarthy begins. Progressive prosecutor Alvin Bragg's impending criminal prosecution of Donald Trump is a disgrace as a matter of due process and good governance. Uh, that's absolutely true. Obviously, Trump does not merit immunity from prosecution just because he's a former president, a current presidential candidate, and an influential political figure with a devoted base of millions. Yet no former president and substantial candidate should be the target of a criminal prosecution, especially by the opposition party, unless the matter is truly serious, unless it would be treated as felony conduct if it were committed by anyone. And that's not the case with this charge. Alvin Bragg, to get a little bit of knowledge about who he is, he has to be elected as the prosecutor, as the not attorney general, but as the Manhattan uh, district attorney. You have to run for that office. You have to get elected. And Alvin Bragg is a progressive. The office of Manhattan DA is Absolutely, a political office. I mean, you have to—you've got to be a political animal. You've—you've got to be willing to grant favors. You've got to be willing to do backdoor deals um, or backroom deals. You—you have to be willing to do all those things if you have a chance of getting elected. So, you know, it—it this is something that Bragg is doing in order to enhance his resume, to keep him in office, because he has been vilified by progressives because he refused to bring an indictment against Trump's business. And, and it's very simple, the reason he didn't do it. There's not enough evidence to present in court. He would have been laughed out of court. But when he refused to bring charges, then two people in his office resigned. One of them wrote a book. And, of course, all of that is designed to enhance their careers. It doesn't have anything to do about justice. It has nothing to do with the truth. It has nothing to do with prosecuting an actual crime. It has everything to do with advancing people's careers based on whether you hate or love Donald Trump. That's, that's the whole thing. Bragg is engaged in bare-knuckled politics. The case is not merely unworthy of prosecution of Trump. This is, I'm back to reading from Andrew McCarthy, which is why federal prosecutors walked away from it years ago, as did Bragg before he was pressured by progressive Democrats into reviving it. You have to understand, he investigated this. Not only did he investigate Trump's business dealings in New York, he investigated the Stormy Daniels question, the $130,000 payment. And in case you've forgotten... Trump gave Michael Cohen his fixer $130,000 and got it uh, got and paid off Stormy Stormy Daniels so she wouldn't reveal the fact that they had an affair which Trump still denies but that they were involved in an affair she kept quiet before the 2016 election. And so she was willing to keep quiet for $130,000. And that money There's nothing illegal about Trump paying that money. What's illegal is the way that it's listed as a business practice, and it could be illegal under federal election laws if it could be determined that campaign funds were used or that in some way it was used to cover up um, anything to do that would give him a political advantage. I mean, it was There are ways that this thing could be elevated, as we said a minute ago, into a felony. It is also a case that everyone knows Bragg would never bring against anyone other than Trump. Crime is rampant in New York. And here's the reason crime is rampant. Bragg is a progressive. His default position is a hesitancy and often non-prosecution when it comes to hardened criminals. And so rather than charging felonies, he's in the habit of, of charging people with lesser crimes so that they get out sooner and the streets in New York are not safer. In fact, they're unsafe. You know, people talk about the fact they used to go to New York, they'd go on shopping trips, they'd walk down Broadway, they'd go to Broadway shows. They would. I mean, it was a big deal to go to New York. Now people, they really don't do that that much anymore because it's not safe. It's not safe because Alvin Bragg, will not bring charges against people who are engaged in major crimes, not serious charges. So people are going through the justice system, getting back out on the street, and crime is rampant. Here, the case of falsifying business records against Trump Is it is at best a nonviolent misdemeanor that is stale and could be inflated into a felony only if the theories are legally and only by theories that are legally and factually dubious? McCarthy says this is classic invidious selective prosecution. It is being launched strictly for political purposes. Now that's there's no question that that's true. You you can't. There's no world. There's no set of reality where you can imagine that these charges against Trump would ever be brought against anybody else if their name was, it, whose name is not Donald Trump. They just wouldn't. Uh, this is Alvin Bragg succumbing to pressure. This is Alvin Bragg trying to further his career to become a star among progressives. I mean, can you imagine what would be bestowed upon the person? who was able to actually get Trump in a set of handcuffs. And that's very unlikely to happen. And we're going to talk about some reasons for that in just a minute. By the way, if uh, you're listening to the show today, if you're watching on Facebook Live, if you've been a fan of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam, thank you, first of all. I'm amazed uh, when I think about the fact that anybody would uh, want to listen. Uh, But I'm also very grateful and if you'd like to continue to listen after a week from this coming Friday, this is the, we're, this is the first day of the next-to-last week of his radio talk, nine eighty because come March 31st, Gary Miller is uh, retiring, and beginning April 3rd, well, actually April 1st, this will be a music format station over here. And all the talk radio programs that, you're, that you listen to are going to be gone at least from the radio station. Now, for me, um, I've got a website set up, drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. And you can go there and see the website now. Uh, we're not set up yet for streaming. Uh, and all the other, all the little buttons don't work yet. Uh, the tabs, whatever they're called. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'll be up front with you. I'm illiterate about all this stuff. I've, I'm having to learn about it. and uh, But come April 3rd, uh, God willing, I'm going to be broadcasting from my house over the internet um, with a lot of, you can click a listen live uh, button that will be added to the website and you'll be able to listen to this program live from 7.30 to 8.30 and you'll be able to, to follow it on YouTube, YouTube and hopefully Rumble, we're working on both of those things. And then also, uh, it's going to be a podcast. And the new name of the program is going to be uh, Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. So if you go to the website right now, drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com, you'll see the the title is up there, the logo, all that stuff. And then you can download download the podcast from, from anywhere. And, of course, it's always free. You can get it for Nothing, just like the best things in life. So I hope you'll stay with me. You can stay with me on Facebook Live. We'll be doing that as well. All right, let's get back to talking about President Trump, the possibility of him him being arrested tomorrow. We'll get into that after we finish analyzing the actual charges that can be brought against him. One of the things that we need to to realize, and and I, I think this is true, but this is conventional wisdom. OK, this is what people generally think um, about what, you know, about what's best for Democrats. And Democrats want to run against Trump in 2024. They would like for him to be the nominee. And I'm not saying that to undermine Trump. I, d- I don't think it does undermine. I mean, I think the Democrats could definitely be wrong. They could be completely out to lunch about this, but they think that Trump on a national scale is not going to be able to win even against President Biden. They think he's the best person. They don't want to run against DeSantis. They don't really want to run against anybody else that would get into the Republican field. They want to run against Donald Trump because they believe that his negatives are high enough that they can win the presidential election and maybe take back Congress, uh, keep the Senate, expand their lead there, and take back the House. So their dream scenario is that Trump becomes a GOP juggernaut, as he did in 2016, rolls over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and the rest of the field, and he storms to the Republican nomination, and then he gets thrashed, by the democrat candidate who's probably going to be Joe Biden. Now for us, look, do do I think that that's crazy? Yes. Do I think that it is absolutely beyond reason that Joe Biden could be elected president again? Yes, but I thought it was beyond reason that he would be elected the first time. And I know, I know everybody's screaming about the steal right now. But let's can we please Lay that aside for a minute here, because we're talking about 2024. You can go back and relitigate 2020 all you want. It's not going anywhere. I mean, we're not going to change the outcome. For so long, I had people sending me stuff. Trump will, be, Trump will be instated as president by March. He'll be president by August. He'll be president by November. Well, he's not president. And that's not going to happen unless he gets elected. And so, you know, it, it blows my mind that that happened. I'm, I'm with you on that. I can't believe that Joe Biden is sitting in the White House and that he's doing the horrible job that he's doing. it, it is a It is a disastrous presidency by any measure. The decisions that are being made for him are taking the country down a rabbit hole. And this is, you know, I I think this is verifiable. People who talk about what a great president Joe Biden is, they're delusional. I mean, all you have to do is look at what's happening. You can look at the banking crisis created by the Biden administration. The Biden administration created the inflation problem that we have. The Biden administration addressed the inflation problem by jacking up interest rates a half a point at a time, unprecedented. And it forced a lot of these banks into the crisis that they're in because they had invested in government bonds that were paying at 2 percent. Bonds are up to 5 percent, 4 percent, 5 percent, and nobody wants a 2 percent bond. The banks can't sell off their bonds to generate capital. Confidence in the banks Uh, begins to wane. People go want to pull their money out. The banks can't generate the cash. You've got banking failures. There's a story out there today that it's possible that before this thing's over, we could see 200 banks either fail or be in real danger of failing. And all of this has been generated, created by the Biden administration. They create a problem it becomes a, a, a historic problem. Inflation gets higher than it's ever been. And then to fix the problem, they destroy the financial system. And the money keeps getting spent. And the deficit or the debt keeps getting higher, $31 trillion. Do you know they're in the street in France today protesting because it, it, it is a harbinger of things to come? If you look at France, if you look at what's happening to Macron and his government, you know part of the problem in France is that their their government, their system of government, allows the president wide latitude. If if he doesn't like the fact that the uh, governing body in France that represents the people hasn't taken action, he can just unilaterally act under the French French Constitution, and that's what he's done. He's basically rearranging the pension plan, which would, in, in this country, would say Social Security. He's taken the initiative to rearrange the pension plan in France, causing people to have to wait till they're 64 to retire instead of 62 and making some other adjustments. And people are going nuts. They're in the streets. They're trying to overthrow the Macron government. And do you know why? Because the French Budget, uh, I mean, the French economy, France has a $3 trillion deficit. Oh my gosh, $3 trillion. It was, do, do you realize if we had a $3 trillion deficit, we'd be dancing in the streets? And, but because we've got a $31 trillion deficit. And what you're seeing happen in France is going to happen here in the United States when Social Security finally has to be touched because we, we, we've bankrupted everything, we don't have any money to pull from anymore, and we've got people living on fixed incomes and they don't have those incomes. You're going to have the same thing. Just watch what's happening in France and just imagine it's not going to be very long most estimates say Social Security won't be able to, to back up their checks by about 2030, 2035, or 34 at the, at the latest. And then you're going to see this kind of stuff happening over here. This is all terrible governance. So I kind of got off on a tangent about Biden, but I'm just, I'm just saying Democrats think they can win— if they run against Trump, right or wrong, that's what they think. They think January 6th and um, and the way that Trump acted, the way that he's responded to um, a lot of things that have have been sent his way with arrogance. Yes, that inspires the base. It makes people who are, are absolute um, everything about Trump supporters. It really fires them up. It makes them happy. But. What about that? The question is not how much the Trump base can be inspired. The question is, can the Trump base be expanded enough to win an election for president of the United States? And a lot of people think that it can't be. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it can't because he's already demonstrated once that it can. But he's also demonstrated once that he can't because he can't campaign in a way that draws people. You have to get elected. You've got to get people that don't pay attention all the time to get out and vote for you. And Trump has demonstrated that he just can't do that, or at least he hasn't done it. Today at uh, National Review, Andrew McCarthy says indicting Donald Trump on a nonsense case in a blatantly partisan exercise of raw power against the Democrats' arch nemesis is good politics for Alvin Bragg. It's hard to think of anything that will more rile up Trump's base and anger other Republicans who, regardless of their distaste for Trump, will find the maneuver despicable such an indictment materially increases the chance that Republicans will nominate Trump exactly the outcome that the Democrats and the media crave. Now, the Democrats and the media could be wrong about this in terms of whether Trump gets the nomination, whether or not he has the chance to win or not. That, that, I think that remains to be seen. What, the evidence that we have that would be contrary to that is the loss in 2020, and then in 20, as as we got into the midterms, we saw that the major candidates that were in close races that Trump endorsed lost. So that's there's there's not a ringing endorsement here, to the fact that Trump could get reelected. But then on the other hand, we saw all these candidates that Trump endorsed win, which was a vast majority of the ones he endorsed. Now we've pointed out that the ones that he endorsed that won were likely going to win anyway. The ones where his endorsement actually mattered, those candidates lost. with the exception of J.D. Vance in Ohio, and we can argue as to whether J.D. Vance would have won anyway. The argument's been made that he would have won by a bigger margin without Trump's endorsement. but but regardless, the, the big-name candidates that Trump got behind, Herschel Walker, Kerry Lake, um, Dr. Oz, all of them lost, and uh, several of the governor's races were lost as well. So the, the question is, is there anything that can drive a wedge between, between President Trump and his base or even Republicans right now that are outraged, like me, i mean this is this is the kind of thing that will drive a lot of people to want to support Trump, and that's what the Democrats don't seem to well, maybe they do understand it because if they want to run against him, maybe they think this is this is good. It's a twofer. You get to indict Trump, you get to uh, finally have charges brought against him, and at the same time the people who are the are his ardent supporters plus a lot of others in the Republican party that maybe would be supporting somebody else get behind Trump because they can see how absolutely ridiculous these charges are. So what about the other indictments? Now this is this is an interesting thought because there's going to be if if Trump is indicted, there're going to be other indictments to come that are more serious than this nonsense with Alvin Bragg. And those charges could include credible charges that where, if you, if you go back and look, it's possible he could be indicted for the documents scandal. Now, they're going to be hard-pressed to find a way to indict Trump over uh, classified documents if you don't inv- indict Biden, if you don't indict Mike Pence, and, and because you didn't indict Hillary Clinton for having classified material all over the Internet on a private server. So this is this is the problem that they have with that. Down in Georgia, there's a possibility of election, interfering with an election in Georgia. That would be a much more serious crime. They're working on getting to an indictment level on that. So the question is, is if you start piling up indictments, you, you get this first indictment, everybody gets outraged, they rally around the president. Then the president gets indicted for a more serious crime related to the classified documents that were at Mar-a-Largo. Then you the president gets indicted for interfering with the election in Georgia. You have three major indictments, and with each one, does it ramp up support or does it cause support to wane? Andrew McCarthy says he believes. That the more charges come against Trump, then Republicans begin to worry that he's unelectable. They begin to think, well, this the weight of this, the collective weight of it, is just too much. But you know, I I just don't think so. I mean, I I disagree. I think the more charges I would like to say that people would begin to turn away because I've made it clear that I think we need someone other than Donald Trump to run for president this time to get the nomination to represent the the Republican Party. But if he becomes the nominee, I'll end up supporting him. But I think it would be better to have somebody else. But if if he's indicted for all these things, I think every indictment brings a new wave of support. I just don't think people are going to abandon him. I think it's going to make people—people people are going to see, just like the Russia-Russia hoax that turned into nothing because it was a hoax from the beginning, and just like the impeachment charges that were brought against Trump that went nowhere, he was impeached twice as president, and never once did he get close to being removed from office. So it's it, it's this piling-on mentality that a lot of people in this country don't like. I mean, it, it, it seems to me that the best thing would be to leave all this stuff alone and let the election play out. Let it be a contest between DeSantis and Trump, or between Haley and Trump, or Tim Scott and Trump. Tim Scott's not in the race yet, but he's probably going to get in. By the way, Asa Hutchinson announced that he's going to let everybody know in April whether he's running or not. And I, I, I'm i not going to speculate. I mean, he he's acting like somebody who's running. So that would indicate more that he probably will get in the race. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't even have 1%. I mean, people don't know who he is. And it's, it's very hard to go from obscurity. It's not all that hard to go from a platform where everybody knows who you are and then you become a politician like Trump did. And get elected, but to go from relative obscurity, where nobody knows who you are, to build up the amount of name recognition that's necessary for you to have a shot at winning the presidency. I mean, Ramaswamy was great this weekend. I mean, it, he, he's, he had a lot of red meat uh, talking points in his speech. He wants to abolish the FBI and replace it with another agency that would be competent. You know, a, a lot of people like that idea, but it makes a lot of people uncomfortable at the same time. What do you mean abolish the FBI? You reform the FBI. You, and for Ramaswamy, no. And there are a lot of people who would agree with him. But I just don't think those issues are enough to catapult him to the front. So who is it going to be if it isn't Trump? Is it going to be DeSantis? Most people think DeSantis gets in the race. It becomes automatically a race between DeSantis and Trump. You've got polls that show DeSantis with a slight lead. You've got polls that show Trump with a with a lead over DeSantis. Usually those polls show a substantial lead at the moment. And so this, I mean, that's just that's just where we are, and all of this with these indictments and the possibility of indictment, all of this is playing into what's going to happen for twenty twenty four, primarily for the Republican and Democrat race for the White House, but also for control of Congress, and that's going to be critical. Can you imagine? Just just imagine the nightmare scenario with me for just a second. Biden gets reelected president. His handlers, whoever's running the show, whoever's pulling the strings, they get another four years to devastate the country. And this time, it's with a Senate and a House that has majorities of Democrat um, support. So you've got Democrats moving to a much stronger majority in the senate and a stronger majority in the house i mean that i don't know that we can recover from that folks i don't want to be doom and gloom and i mean america has been so resilient in the past but there's only so much bad governance that any country can endure without going into decline and the united states is already in decline because of the leadership that we've seen from biden so, what would four years plus Congress look like? I mean, it would be it truly would be a disaster. All right, uh, I wonder if anybody remembers what happened 20 years ago today. Um, it was the beginning of the Iraq war. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in the second hour. We're going to talk about what the ramifications of the Iraq, Iraq war were and are for us today even 20 years later, and we'll see what the state of the country of Iraq is. Is it better? Is it worse? Is it? Are there any freedoms for the people that they didn't have? We'll get into some of that. All right. Um, is Trump going to be indicted tomorrow? Well, President Trump put that out, and it appears that it's based on news stories. In other words, the people around him are reading the news stories. There, Michael Cohen testified last Monday and Wednesday before the grand jury. Um, Trump turned down an opportunity to testify. And that's usually the last thing that happens is the principal person who's the target gets a chance to go before the grand jury, and they either do it or they don't. And if they don't, then the indictment comes. And so that's where the speculation has been that it—and and I guess Trump just picked Tuesday— um, you know, we it doesn't appear that there's been coordination yet between the Secret Service and the New York Police Department. You, you have to understand, because of the number of political candidates that go through New York, the Secret Service and the New, the NYPD have close a close working relationship. And so they're going to have to work out some kind of arrangement. Don't expect to see Trump handcuffed at Mar-a-Lago. Don't expect to, to see him walking across the lawn, uh, escorted by New York City police officers, put into a, a, a police car and driven away. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to work out some kind of arrangement where Trump is probably going to be allowed uh, to come in to an undisclosed location. He'll be arraigned and he'll be released. I mean, he's not going to be held on bond for a misdemeanor, unless they've figured out a way to upcharge this, but even a C felony, they're not—they're not, they're not going to hold him in prison for that. He's going to be out. He's going to be campaigning. He's not going to let this slow him down any. So, the dream of progressives to see him handcuffed and perp walked is extremely unlikely to happen. I mean, I—I I wouldn't put anything past the Justice Department right now, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, So there's still, it it appears that um, Alvin Bragg is tying up a few loose ends. There might need to be somebody else that testifies. Now, it's possible they could testify today, and then Trump could be charged tomorrow. That's still a possibility. But a lot of people that are following this inside that have people that are inside the Trump camp and inside Alvin Bragg, the 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 office there, the prosecutor's office uh, in 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 New York, they're they're saying that it's likely going to be another week or perhaps a couple of weeks before Trump's actually indicted. But now, who knows? It's possible it could be tomorrow. Uh, Trump put out a tweet, and of course. Well, it wasn't not a you don't call it a tweet. I don't guess a statement on his own social media, talking about the fact that he's going to be indicted. He tells supporters to protest and to not sit back and watch that we can't allow this anymore. Uh, Trump posted on social media, "It's time." We're a nation in steep decline, being led into World War III by a crooked politician who doesn't even know he's alive, but who's surrounded by evil and sinister people who, based on their actions on defunding the police, destroying our military, open borders, no voter ID, inflation, raising raising taxes, and much more, can only hate our now failing USA. We just can't allow this anymore they're killing our nation as we sit back and watch we must have america protest 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 we must save america i should say and then at another point at the end of a a, another kind of a long statement of of different people that are involved he said the um he said the president the united former president of the united states will be arrested on tuesday of next week protest Take our nation back. Now, Trump's getting a lot of criticism for this because there are people who believe that this is going to cause another January 6th. And I, I just don't believe that's true. I don't think you're going to see just hordes of people turning out to protect Donald Trump from arrest. Now, I think you're going to see a lot of people staging protest, But, you know, what, since when... Or protest a bad thing. The left thinks protest is the way democracy that's what democracy looks like. That's what they chant when they walk through the streets. They even call the destruction of American cities and under what because of Antifa and Black Lives Matter, I mean, they they call that democracy. They call that reasonable protest. So, yes, A lot of people are going to protest this action if Trump is arrested, if he's charged. But the danger of, you know, some kind of danger of mass protests are going to look like another uh, January 6th storming the Capitol, that kind of thing. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I, I don't think there's any chance of that taking place. So is he going to be arrested tomorrow? conventional wisdom says no that the Secret Service and the NYPD will work out some kind of arrangement where he will surrender but it's likely not going to be tomorrow um, there's some other things that have to happen we don't we, we don't know who this witness is at least I don't that's supposed to testify before the grand jury they they want one more witness they say uh, I think the key witness has been Michael Cohen and but but whoever this is that Bragg is is bringing to the table is likely going to somehow uh, be a witness that would allow the charge to be up upscaled to a felony. That I think that's what Bragg is working on now. I Think he's laid the foundation for this bogus charge of a misdemeanor, which is improper use of a business expense or improper reporting of a business expense expense that. But, but in order to get something that's got a little bit more teeth, I think that's why he's bringing in somebody else to testify. So we'll see. Time will tell us whether this is going to actually end up being a, a time tomorrow where Trump is indicted. All right, let me tell you about an event that's coming up. Gender confusion, a collision of worldviews, is coming to North Hills Church over in Taylor's. Um, the flyer says, join us. And Dr. Nancy Piercy, as she delivers three lectures that contrast the secular negative view of the human body with the Christian positive view of the body, she will discuss her book, Love Thy Body, explore the current worldview of transgenderism, and give us a preview of the soon-to-be-released book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. Each session will include question and answer. This is April 21st and 22nd, 6:30 to 8:30 p.m. on April 21st, and then 8 to 12 uh, p.m. It'd be a morning session on April 22nd. If you'd like to know more, uh, you can go to North Hills Church website and you can find out the details and you can register for the event. This is something that's going to require registration. This week down in Charleston is going to be the Southern Conservative Conference. They're calling it the SoConCon. Uh, Palmetto Family is the host event, uh, the host organization for this event. Uh, But Jim Daly from Focus on the Family is going to be there. Um, John Stone Street from the Colson Center is going to be there, plus a lot of national policy leaders. Um, So this is going to be a good conference going on down in Charleston. uh, Most people are it's spring break, but a lot of people are um, on vacation this week, so I don't know. If there's gonna I don't know what attendance is going to be like down there, uh, but there's going to be a lot of good speakers. I'll be down there tonight. Uh, tomorrow, Corey's going to sit in for me because I've got to be in Columbia tomorrow for a meeting with some legislators, and um, then on Wednesday morning is the governor's prayer breakfast. I, I think there's still an opportunity for you to register for that. Um, if you go to the governor, you can just go to the governor's website, and you'll find information about the prayer breakfast. It's going to be at 7:30 at the uh, convention center in Columbia um, on Wednesday morning. And we've got a table. We got uh, North Greenville's got a table um, that is being. I think uh, William Renfro has supplied that for us. He's a, a good friend of the university, um, and we're gonna. But we're gonna see a lot of pastors there, of course. And today, by the way, another thing that's happening that's significant in South Carolina, there's a special call meeting of the South Carolina Baptist Convention that's going to take place at 1.30 today at Shandon Baptist Church in Columbia, and they're going to be voting on a new executive director treasurer for the convention. Um, Gary Hollingsworth, who's done an amazing job, is retiring, uh, going back home to Alabama. And Tony Wolfe, is coming from uh, the Texas Baptist Convention, which Texas is kind of unique in Baptist life. It's divided up into, into two conventions. Texas is big enough that you have to have two state conventions, the General Baptist Convention of Texas and the Texas Baptist. Texas Baptist is considered to be the more conservative group, and he's the assistant executive director right now, But after today, it's very likely he's going to be the next executive director treasurer for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, Dr. Tony Wolf. It would be good to welcome him to South Carolina, and I'm looking forward to working with him uh, as we continue to have an impact, try to have an impact down at the Statehouse and to let Baptist pastors and leaders know what's going on at the Statehouse with regular reports. All right, that's all the time we've got for the first hour. We're going to head up to news here. And we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about 20 years ago, the Iraq war started. Well, did we learn anything? Uh, What's going on in Iraq now? What is the what kind of ramifications do we have in our world today because of what happened 20 years ago today? Stay with us and we'll talk about it.